Let's hit it. Good morning. I tell you, I, I, um, as I continue to study for this and read and so on, I just cannot get over, and I shouldn't, and I don't want to. Oh, by the way, if any of you want any of the uh, compilations of the notes for any of the two last classes that we did, Colossians and Genesis, we need to make some more. If you want some more, I think uh, Darlene makes those. So if you're wanting a set for yourself, uh, you may get it. Just tell Darlene Bado, and she'll make a set or two for you. Uh, I just Once again, just as a preliminary thing, I can't get over the excitement of studying the Word of God. Amen. I'm telling you, this thing, this thing, you know, this, this pursuit in our lives is the most worthy pursuit we have as believers. Amen. There is no other pursuit. There is no other passion. There is no other purpose for us than this Word being central and governing and foundational, and leading, and protecting, and providing, and revealing, and correcting, and everything in our lives. Amen? So I, this is just, for me, <clears throat> doing what we're doing here and studying it. I don't know how much you learn. I really don't. I don't hear from too many people. Every once in a while I hear from someone concerning the class or sermon. But <clears throat> as for me, I can't get over how much the Lord is teaching me. I can't get over the fact of, and I should know this already because this, I haven't been teaching just for a day or two. I've started teaching Sunday school at, when I was 19 years old. I'm 72 years old, so I've been doing it before some of you were born. But I can't get over the fact of, I really mean this, how much I don't know. Every time I think I see something and know something, I see a little Grant a little canyon open. <gasps> Look at that. And then when I walk to the edge of the canyon, all of a sudden they think, yeah. Look at this. Yeah. And so then get to another place. Wow, look at this. I'm learning something. And all of a sudden it, it manifests into something huge. I can't get over how spectacular the word of God is. That's just a freebie for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you remember last lesson we ended with John 1.29. Remember, we were talking about the announcing of the priest, the coming of the priest. You remember that? Remember the purpose of the priest. It's, it's a multifaceted purpose, but we honed in at least on one aspect of the purpose of the coming of this great peace, a priest, and that is bringing about the peace of God to God's people. You remember shalom, peace, welfare, uh, where everything is in accordance to God's way. There is peace within God. He is at peace within himself among the three persons of the Trinity. There is a peace within God because all three persons are settled in their relationship or flowing in their relationship or in a loving relationship. There is nothing in the community of God that in any way can and ever will disturb the continuity, the community, the love, the communion, the fellowship within God among the three persons. This is where peace is. This is what peace is. 
Every time we say here something about peace, biblically speaking, about peace in our lives or someone else, or God is bringing peace, I announce peace and all that, it has to do with the peace that God is within himself, that he experiences within himself among the three persons of the Godhead. Amen? So let's understand what real peace is. And so when the angel says, hey, God is finally bringing peace to his people. What is he saying? He is establishing in his people and he will develop in his people as they walk with him the very experience and reality of the peace that he has within himself among these three uh, persons of the Trinity. He's now set it within our own hearts and that peace that is in God that has been now established in us and that is developing in us is to now be functioning freely and flowing in the church among the relationships that we have with one another. Therefore, when anything at all, no matter what it is, no matter how large or minuscule or for whatever purpose comes in to disturb the peace within the community of the church, within the fellowship and the relationships among members or between two members, that is an attack against the very person of God. Amen? You see, we need to see what's going on so when things come against us, we can have, wow, wait a minute. This is not just because Shirley and I don't agree with something and we're upset or whatever. This is something about the majesty and the truth of who God is in himself. Therefore, Shirley and I need to be very quick in what? Reestablishing a peaceful relationship. If there is anyone in the church with whom you are not at peace, you need to very quickly, well, what about this? I don't care about anything except the reestablishment of the peace of God and let the Holy Spirit deal with the issues. Let him deal with the issues. Amen? Amen. This is about the peace of God. This is why Trinitarian theology is essential to our understanding and functioning as believers. So when John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. Remember John 1 what? 29. You need to know these verses. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is he saying? He is saying in that statement, behold, God's priest and sacrificial system. Behold, the one in whom the entire Levitical system is fulfilled. This is the one who will bring about the fulfillment in reality of all that Leviticus was supposed to be as a type. Here he is, the lamb, the sacrifice, who? A man. So the lamb is a man, and you see they come together. The blood of the sacrifice and the priest who offers the sacrifice is in that statement. So this means that we should see both of these two essentials in Leviticus combined in one man, Jesus Christ. How can this be possible? How can it be possible that this man is God's priest on earth and at the same time, this man is God's sacrifice on earth. How can it be? Well, it's possible because of John 1.1. 1, 1. Remember that? 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the reason this is possible. This is the reason why this is essential. This is the reason why Jesus' divinity as the eternal Son of God taking on the humanity of Jesus, this is why it's so essential that Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the eternal second person in the Trinity. This is going to be taken. This clock is bad. It's moving faster than I am. This is why, this is why when Satan attacks the, uh, the truth of the word, when Satan attacks the truth, he attacks it at the very person of Christ. This is why, for instance, Jehovah's Witness are wrong. And the reason for that theology is so Satan can incarcerate and keep incarcerated, jailed, incarcerated people as they believe Jesus is a created being. And a created being could never be the eternal priest of God. He can't be. A created being cannot take on the eternal dishonor and attack and affront of God because of our sin. One sin is an eternal attack and affront to God. One sin. One. And in order for any sin or any combination or gatherings of sin to be dealt with, the person who commits the sin either has to spend an eternity under the punishment of a holy God against that sin or a holy God must pour out the eternal consequences of that sin on an eternal being who has become a man. Do you get it? So he has to be what? John 1.1. He has to be the eternal son. So taking John 129 as our guide, as an umbrella for this morning, what is that? The sacrifice, the priest. Taking John 129 as our guide, let's examine the, some of the testimony of the New Testament to see how Jesus fulfilled the role of the priest who offered himself as a sacrifice of sin. So let's talk about Jesus being anointed as priest. You see, in John 1, we see Jesus coming to the Jordan to be baptized. Remember that in John 1, John's out in the wilderness baptizing, yelling and screaming about being repentant. And, you, you know, he's talking about these hypocrites of Pharisees. You remember all that? And people coming to him to be uh, baptized in the Jordan. Why is this so essential? Why is John beginning this way? Because, you see, John is establishing this fact that this man who comes is the Christ, the Messiah, by the way, you remember what Messiah meant? Messias means? It means one on whom oil is poured in anointing. It means an anointed one. It simply means someone that God has anointed. Pour oil on him for a particular purpose. So this is the Messiah. Why does John start this way? Because he's connecting the person and ministry of this man as the fulfillment of the entire Levitical system of the Old Testament which was the only means of God's people to come into his presence and enjoy fellowship with him and to be maintained and matured by that fellowship. 
So in John 1, we see Jesus coming to Jordan to be baptized. Why? At first, remember, John refused. Remember that? Listen, Matthew 3, 13 to 14. John refused because this is what the Spirit of God showed him. He said, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John had a revelation that this is Messiah. And so, because he knows who's coming to him, he says, oh my goodness, I should be baptized by you. I can't even, not even worthy to what? Tie your shoes. He says, no, 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 no. But what was Jesus' reply? Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said, no, you need to baptize me. Why? Because all righteousness needs to be fulfilled. Now, what all righteousness? What does that mean? Why does Jesus need to go in the water and come out of the water? What is all this about? What does all righteousness mean? It has to do, Jesus is referring to the righteous requirements of Leviticus for the consecration and anointing of the priest. The all righteousness here has to do with the righteous requirements of Leviticus, especially chapter 8, which have to do with the consecration and the anointing of the priesthood. What is happening here? Jesus is presenting himself to Israel as Israel's high priest. And in order for him to function as Israel's high priest, he just can't leave his house and start ministering. This cannot be done. Even the Lord Jesus himself must appear before God in order to be consecrated and anointed as God's priest. And then he can proceed with the ministry of priesthood. And so it's a requirement for the priesthood. What? Washing and anointing for the consecration and anointing. Leviticus 8 and some of these verses. And Moses, this is what happened when the tabernacle was finished. Remember, Moses cannot enter the tabernacle. Remember Exodus 30, verse 35, I think it is. Moses can't enter the tabernacle because of the glory. So what does Leviticus answer? Leviticus answers, how does man come into the presence of God? That's what Leviticus is all about. How do, does God's, how do God's people come into the place where God dwells? Remember the glory came down, you can't go in. Now Leviticus. Leviticus answers the question, how, does God, how do God's people come into his presence to enjoy fellowship? That's what Leviticus is all about, very simply. That's what it's all about. So let it no longer be a mystery to us. What is Leviticus? Leviticus is possibly one of the most astounding and greatest chapter, uh, books in the entire Bible. And so Moses, the Lord tells Moses, here we go. This is a sacrificial system, chapters 1 through 7. And now here's the priest who offers the sacrifices. And here's what you need to do, Moses. The thing that the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Verse 10, then Moses took the anointing oil, verse 12, and poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So here we go. The anointing, the consecration, the washing of the priest, getting him ready to go forth as God's priest. 
This means that Aaron had to be ceremonially washed of the defilement of his sin before he could be anointed as priest. He had to be ceremonially, ceremonially, it's hard to say, you know, ceremonially washed of the defilement of the impurities of his sin. You see the laws of clean and unclean in Leviticus 11 to 15, 11 to, uh, yes, 15. And we'll maybe talk about that one day, what that's all about and why it's so important. So he has to be washed before he can be anointed. This washing was a type of the cleansing work of the Spirit. It's a type of the cleansing work. So when Moses is pouring water on Aaron and his sons, there is no physical activity here of Aaron becoming spiritually clean of the washing way of defilement of sin, but it is a picture of the cleansing, pouring, washing work of the Holy Spirit's doing that to Aaron's soul, his mind, his thoughts, his feelings, his intentions, his desires, or being cleaned of the impurity of sin. That's what that pictures. Listen to what Ephesians 5.26 says about the husband's responsibility. The husband should love his wife. Why? In the same way that Christ loved the church. That Christ might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Today, the word of God, as we take it in, as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate on it, is the Spirit's water, if you would, soap and water, to cleanse our souls of the impurities, of the present defilements, of the manipulation, of the filth, of the degradation of our daily sin. Do we see that? So if you have a child who loves to play outside in a hot, sweaty day, how many of you good parents would demand and require that that child take a bath every night when he comes home from playing? Or would you let your child day after day after day and once in a while take a little quick shower and I bathe? Would you let him do that? And yet we treat the word of God as a quick little, okay, I've done that. Now I'm ready to go ahead. I wanted to go ahead. And we wonder why there's weakness in the church. We wonder why the, why the presence of God is not active in the church as it should be. We wonder why the issues of gifting and, uh, and evangelism and growth and maturity are not active in the church because we're not taking a shower well enough. Because God doesn't like stinky kids. We still as kids, but we stink if we haven't been sufficiently washed by the word. Get into the, take a shower and be washed. Washed in the soul cleansing word. Remember that song? Some of you may be old enough to remember that. Be careful, Brenda Tullis may break out in song in here. And that's fine, that's fine. If you want to, go ahead, girl. Titus 3, 5, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy... That's what the word washing has to do with. This is what God was doing in Aaron symbolically. He was actually doing something in Aaron, but it was symbolized externally by the water. Now, that may say something to us about washing and baptism and so on. We'll get to that. But Jesus was not defiled by sin. He was already clean. Remember Hebrews 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we yet without sin. Jesus got no defilement on him. He carries no dirt. But you remember he submitted to being washed. Why? In order to fulfill the type of Leviticus 8.6. He fulfilled the type Even though personally he didn't need to, he needed to fulfill the picture that God had established and maintained and was showing the entire time of the Old Testament. That was a requirement. Jesus couldn't say, well, I don't have any sin. I don't need to be washed. I'm fine with that. And many believers act this way about the issues of God's word. Oh, I don't need to do that. That's okay now. God's not that way anymore. He doesn't mind if we da-da-da. Are you kidding? The moment you think God doesn't mind, Satan is telling you something of a lie. Think of the things that we do in our lives, where we go, what we do, and how we act. And the moment you think, well, God doesn't mind, think that could be a deception from the enemy. Don't fall for it. When you think that, stop. All of a sudden, put on the brake. I'm not going any further until God shows me what's going on here. It could be that God doesn't mind. But do you know for sure? Or is that your casual thought because you don't know the word well enough? And ignorance of the law does not excuse the law. Amen? Somebody said something like that one time someplace. Now, Jesus, once he was washed, Remember 316 of Matthew, when Jesus was baptized, he was washed. He went under the water. He came up. Now that he's been washed, he's ready to be anointed. In keeping with 812 of Leviticus, he's washed, keeping with 86. Now 812, he's going to be anointed. Now before looking at Jesus how Jesus was anointed. Before we do that, let's stop for a moment and go back to the Old Testament. Jesus is about to be anointed. Let's stop there for a second. Don't, don't. Let's stop there. Hold that frame. Jesus has been washed in the water. He's coming up out of the water. He's about to be anointed. Let's stop for a moment and look at the issue of anointing just for a second. Now, you know, when I say a second, I don't mean that literally. Keith and I don't need watches. We need clock. I mean, uh, we need calendars, but that's how that is. <clears throat> Before looking at the anointing, let's recall the Old Testament significance of anointing. Why anointing? What is it saying? What is it all about? It has to do with attestation and authority from heaven. Attestation, acknowledgement, approval. I attest to this. I say this is the truth. You, you know what I mean by attestation? Acknowledgement, approval, and authority. These two come together in the word and in the activity of anointing. It's heaven's attestation and heaven's what? Authority of Jesus as high priest. That's what this is all about. That's what anointing is. 1 Samuel 10.1, remember this? Then Samuel took a flask of oil. Notice, oil. I don't know whether it's in your notes that verse or not he took a flask of oil and poured oil poured it on Saul's head oil poured head you see it oil poured head okay 
And he says, has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? It was God's attestation and authority to Saul to be what? Israel's king. It was God giving the nation and Saul, this is my king, and I am anointing you or giving you the authority of the gifting that is necessary to function as the leader of my people. Here it is. That's what the oil poured head means. You see the same kind of thing in 1 Samuel 16, 12 to 13. Remember David. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint David, for this is he. He who? He who? He who is going to take Saul's place. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed or came upon David from that day forward. Notice in David, and you see the same thing in Saul, just didn't quote all the passages. When this happens, the Spirit of God comes upon these men, and he's with them, enveloping them and guiding them. At least this is what the intention is if they are to walk with him in an obedient way. You see, the anointing meant that God had singled out Saul and David for their prospective ministries. This was heaven's attestation and the giving of authority, gifting authority to function in this way. There are other, time, there are other examples, but I think this suffices. So now let's look at Jesus again. Let's look at how heaven's anointing of Jesus after his washing. Now, let's look at it. Remember, he was washed. Verse 16, Matthew 3, 16. And when Jesus was baptized, remember, immediately he went up from the water. Of course, because he was holding his breath. <laughs> and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Here is heaven's anointing of Jesus, which is symbolized in the Old Testament anointing with oil and the pouring upon the head. You see, in the same way that Saul and David were anointed with oil, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. And what was heaven's reply? What is the response of heaven? What does verse 17 say? And behold, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Remember that verse? It's also quoted in Luke 3, 21 or 22, I think. God's attestation. This is my son. I am attesting that this is my son. How did he attest to it? The dove settles on Jesus. And I'm attesting that I have given him the authority to carry out the commission and function in the role of priest. Now, it also has to do with the role of king and prophet. We understand that we did that. But this again, you know, it, we're talking about the priesthood this time. Remember, all three offices function cooperatively and simultaneously in Christ, although one may be in particular view more than the others at certain times. You remember we talked about that? And the other two then, or if you would, take a little back space. And then another one comes forward. Again, revealing in the three offices or these three roles, the roles of the three persons of the Trinity. Remember what this is all about. Why was God well pleased? Why was he so happy? He was happy because finally, finally, 
Since what? Since when? Finally, since when? Genesis 3. How many of you from New Orleans can count real quick? Genesis 3 what? 6, which says what? The woman partook of the fruit and handed it to her husband and he ate. At that point, the cosmos, the creation, came under the judgment of God. And at that moment, in a split hair of a second, the entire cosmos was rejected as God's dwelling place, although it remained that way. And God's intention that this cosmos would be the revelation of his sanctuary was put away under that old system because of sin. That old system was put away because of sin. And God began immediately to move for a recreation, a regenesis, regeneration, a bringing back his intention through another priest who would not fail. Because Adam, you remember, the priest, Genesis 2.15, <clears throat> Adam the priest given authority to do what? Work and keep my garden. Do what? Protect it and provide for the worship. And how had not Adam protected the garden? He allowed something of the field. Remember the garden was God's dwelling sanctuary. Outside the garden, is this a mystery to me? Do I understand this, James? No. I just have to tell you what it says. But outside the garden was the field. Now, it, when it says chaos, it doesn't mean <laughs> It means the place where everything or nothing was according to God's peaceful, perfect, holy intention. That's what it means about the field. It doesn't mean that everything was going haywire and everything was nuts and it was, you know, tornadoes and everything all around. It just means the place and the peace of God was in the garden. This was the place of God's presence where everything was according to his intention, right? Correct? Outside in the field, there was a demarcation. Outside in the field, that wasn't the case. But Adam's function as prophet, priest, and king, as prophet, I mean priest today, we emphasize this, was to be maintaining the garden as the place of God's presence of peace. And through his correct handling of the function of his priestly role, working and keeping, remember Numbers 3, 7, and 8, the Levites have to what? Minister and guard the tabernacle. And as Adam did this effectively and obediently and continually and regularly and consistently, and then his children that he would have continues this, this means that the activity and the presence of God's peace would be ever expanding, expanding, if you would, some way taking over the earth so that there would be eventually no in the field location but something from the field came in what was his name satan the word satan is the hebrew word satan s-a-t-a-n which means adversary or one who opposes that's the word satan every time you see the word oppose or uh, opposition or whatever typically it's 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 uh 
the, the word Satan is used. And in the New Testament and in Job, you remember, it becomes personalized because the opposition is led by a person, a being. And so the being comes into the garden, disguising himself like an angel of light. Remember in 2 Corinthians? Now, was it a real serpent and whatever? I don't know, but I don't, I don't care. Because you see, the revelation says that old serpent. So the serpent is less an animal, more a being. It's less an animal and more of a being, but it's a mystery. And where did he come from the field? How did he ever get in here? How did he get in? Jody, how did he get in? Adam didn't properly what? Guard. Didn't guard. He didn't guard. And the enemy came in. And the enemy seduced Eve. Okay, fine. The Lord created Eve in a way that she could be deceived. Now, women don't like that, but that's not our point. You go to God about that kind of thing. You know, don't be angry with me. Well, you said, I didn't say anything. I'm just telling you what the word says. Paul says it later. Well, that's not, no, that's not, no, no, no. Go to God. And if you don't like it, tear out those passages from that Bible, which is so antiquated and stupid, right? Oh, no, I don't want to. Well, then shut up. So the woman's weakness was what? Deception. But the man's weakness was greater and more detrimental and damning. Ladies, the next time someone says, you're a woman, you're easily deceived, say what? You're right. But remember this, the man who was supposed to lead rejected God purposefully and willfully, which the woman did not do. The woman did not reject God purposefully and openly. She was deceived. They fooled, they fooled her. You know being fooled means? You didn't know any. Well, she had this. Some kind of way, he fooled her. I don't know how it worked. I wasn't there. Some of you think I may have been, but I wasn't there. But the man is culpable of sin. What should the man have done? The man was a sinless being. Right? Had Adam committed any sin, Ellie, before that point? He was without sin, like another priest who was without sin. And the other priest without sin offered himself as an atoning sacrifice to save his wife, his bride. What should Adam have done? What should Adam have done? Probably the same thing. Now, what would God have done? We don't know. Adam, I believe, knew what he was supposed to do. God was with him. He taught him. But Adam said, I ain't doing that. No. So he chose his wife. Her deception became his sin because he wasn't going to do that. Now, this says a lot about me as a husband and is about all the guys in this room who are husbands. But that's for another day where the hammer will fall on all of us. And I already feel it's clanging in my head. Why was God well pleased? Finally, God has achieved his creative purpose of fulfilling the priestly role that he had given to Adam. Fulfilling it through his own son. 
who will be the way. I am the who will be the way into the tabernacle of God's presence, of God's dwelling. Remember the dwelling? and So that the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God becomes the tent of meeting. So where God's presence is, this priest will be the open door into God's fellowshipping holy presence for God's people as this priest becomes himself the sacrifice that atones for sin and cleanses from the impurities of sin, thus opening in the resurrection the door of God's presence. That's why you need the death and the resurrection. One work, but each one being specific to a particular need so that his people may fellowship with God forever. Therefore, fulfilling the purpose of what? Leviticus. Jesus, what? Fulfills it all. So what is Colossians 2.17? Okay. This means that God's eternal purpose, remember in Ephesians 3.11, of communion with man in the garden will be finally realized so that the garden symmetry, the symbolism of the tabernacle and the temple. Remember we went through the garden symbolism some time ago? The tabernacle of the temple becomes the location for God's presence on earth, and it typifies the garden from which man was expelled. But it also anticipates another garden, a new earth, which will be the garden of God where heaven will come down and the earth and the heaven will become one. Remember, new heaven and new earth, Revelation 21 and 22. And finally, I'm getting ahead of myself, I know. What does it say? And finally, God's dwelling is among men. So that the tent of meeting that is typified by the tabernacle that is finally fulfilled and opened its way into it by Christ is fully fulfilled where? In the new heaven and the new earth with the return of Jesus Christ then we shall be in the eternal tent of meeting, the eternal dwelling place of God is in fellowship. Next week, among some of the other scriptures that I'm going to use, we want to examine the seven I am statements. Remember the seven statements with a predicate. I have the list here. I'm not sure if I listed them. I think I listed the references. I'm not sure if I listed them all. Remember that I am the bread, I am the uh, light of the world. Remember those seven want to look at those seven as revelatory of Jesus' ministry as priest. I just have to tell you like this. Anytime any of you have ever done any teaching, you know how your mind is regularly on the material. And so I'm regularly on the material. Think about what next week, this and any other. And all of a sudden, just, just had never seen it before. Holy Spirit caused it to dawn on me. Wait a minute. The light of the menorah shining on the bread in the holy place. Jesus says, I am the light. I am the bread. And all of a sudden, it's like the Lord said, hey, these seven statements are statements of Jesus' role as priest. Oh, I've never seen that before. So look at these seven statements and ask God and think. Think. What priestly function is manifested or revealed 
in each of these seven. Do you have a list in your notes of the seven? He didn't give you the list? Oh, Evan didn't do that? Well, you may have to look them up. Let me give them to you. All of them in John's gospel. Ready? 635, 8, 12, 10, 7. <laughs> 635, 8, 12, 10, 7, 10, 11, 11, 25, 14, 6, 15, 1. You got it all? 635, 812, 1011, 1125, 146, 151. And the way, the truth, and the life. Remember that? Okay. So be, be looking at this next week, and I think that we can get to this next week unless the Lord loads me down with more preparation stuff. Thank you so much.